because the word of the Lord has come to the people. It's not just up on the platform. And Bruce Tolman said he wants a running start on this. So I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, and read. So if everybody could stand for the reading of God's word. And what more shall we say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of the Lord. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. I just thought it'd be good to have a little, uh, little preemptive understanding of what those verses were about. That's why I had asked uh, that that be read. Uh, I don't think it's bad to read the Bible in church. Uh, (laughs) And so, um, just to give us a little bit of context there to what the author of Hebrews is saying for us or to us. In chapter 12 there, we see the word, chapter 12 begins with, Therefore. So what therefore tells us is that it's really a continuation of another thought uh, that the writer was on. And so throughout all of chapter 11, we see uh, the great heroes of the faith. And they're listed there, not just to list there and talk about and say, hey, look at these folks, but they're there to be a witness and to be a support and to be a help for us in our journey, in our pilgrimage. And so, as we 
get into chapter 12, it's interesting that the author of Hebrews, and there's a lot of question out there as to who the author of Hebrews is. Uh, nobody's really sure or can be definitive. Many would say Paul. Many would say it was a scribe of Paul. Some would say others. But uh, that's really, really not important. What is important is the words and the truth and what is being said. There's a heritage and religious history. The law of Moses, the prophets, the temple sacrificial system all as well as the persecution that is rampant about it. And when we get to chapter 12, um, the author uses three metaphors. Now, metaphors are, as we all know, just uh, words or a group of words to help relay or to convey uh, a truth, to maybe put it into context to something we would understand. Um, Generally believed... Uh, to be dealing with the idea or a theme of a race. Um, And uh, there are some commentators who question that. Uh, They get super, super, super deep into it and and start saying, well, really, this wouldn't be related to a race or this or that. And and again, I don't think it's that important. It's, It's good to dig into the Scripture and it's good to have ideas and thoughts, but the real meaning is not necessarily the metaphors, but it's the truth that's being um, portrayed or or given to us. Faith is momentous and the quintessential trait of every person listed and alluded to in chapter 11. Having made his case for faith, the author of Hebrews breaks away from making a theological point to make some points of application. And he does so with the use of three different metaphors, as I've already said. The author of Hebrews uses the metaphor of a cloud. A cloud, the witness that surrounds believer. The Scripture says we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The imagery that's suggested here is a thick, thick fog such that one cannot see where they're going. They're completely covered by this fog, and you can't see ahead, you can't see back, and most of, most of us have probably driven or been in some, some fog like that, where you can't see hardly your hand in front of your face. And so the imagery is that we are surrounded by this cloud, this thick fog, and we can't tell what we're, where we're going. This thick fog of witnesses serves as a point of encouragement for the readers. Knowing that God is faithful and surrounds those with faith. He's around us, all around us. That great cloud that surrounds us. No matter where we are in our journey, no matter where we're going, no matter what's going on, the writer of Hebrews says we are surrounded by God. Number two, the... He follows the cloud metaphor with a metaphor from racing and likens the the Christian life to a long-distance race. And then number three, he likens the hardship that his readers are enduring to the sort of discipline a father gives his children. So in those three verses, we see three metaphors that are being used there. And... And the author of the letter 
to the Hebrews is trying to make a point from a pastoral exhortation more than a theological uh, concept. So I want us, it's most likely uh, written to Jews, Jews who are now questioning their faith in Jesus, now seeing what is going on, most likely the in the 50s and 60s of that first century, the middle of that first century, uh, there is so much happening. There is so much going on. There is the Roman Empire. There is this idea of them being sawed in half and used in the games and abused and killed for their faith and all of those things that are happening. And so the author is trying to make and bring encouragement to the readers. So I want to mention three things that I see in these three verses. If we're going to run this race of faith, if we are going to work through this life that we have, this whatever is set before us, we're going to need to do three things. First of all, number one, it needs to be a disciplined race. Verse 1 says, Run with endurance the race that God has set before us. The picture here is of an athlete. An athlete who has worked and worked out and prepared himself and, and did all that he needed to prepare himself for the race. He watches his diet. Uh, he works continuously. He, he does all the things to make his body all that it can be so that he can run the race. It also tells us to strip away encumbrances. Now, from a metaphor standing, that's probably in that time, more than likely, they stripped away all their clothes and they would run naked. Now, I'm not saying we need to do that, okay? <laughs> but what I'm saying is, the idea is that we are to strip away anything that would keep us from running the race to our fullest and being able to run that race the best that we possibly can. Now for some, that encumbrances, he, he goes on to say, strip away those encumbrances, and then he says, and the sins that would trip us up. Encumbrances might not necessarily be sin. It could be those things that distract us from God. Those things that would pull us away from fellowship with other believers, with reaching out to our neighbors, from witnessing. One of the things that I've, I've learned and learned as, as the pastor in Windsor when we were there was it seems that a lot of people live by their calendars. And if activities were taking place on Sunday, those activities typically took precedence over church. When there was a Broncos game, we knew attendance would be low. When baseball season was on and we had people with kids who played ball, 
the traveling. It seems like society has really tried its best um, to, and it's probably not just society, it's the enemy has tried his best uh, to put other things in our way, stumbling, things that would cause us to stumble by. I remember Karen and I have talked about this many times as, as young youngsters, teenagers, children, the town we lived on, all the stores closed Wednesday afternoon at noon. Nothing was ever open on Sunday because Wednesday evening you had to go to church. Nothing was ever open on Sunday. No activities were ever planned on Sunday. Nothing ever took place. But times have changed. Okay? It's, it's just one of those realities. And I'm not here to... Um, to necessarily condemn those people, but we just need to find ways to reach them and get into their lives. Maybe we meet on a different day. Maybe we do things different. Maybe we, there's other things that we can do. The idea here from the writer of Hebrews is that we need to strip away anything that would keep us from following the Lord. And loving people and caring for people. And that would include encumbrances and then, as the Hebrew writer says, those sins that trip us up. As I said, distractions in and of themselves may not be sin. But if we're going to run and finish the race, we need to be all in. Okay? Our priorities need to be where our priorities need to be. Number two, defined, we need to run a defined race. Verse two says, Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He defines our faith, who we are as Christians. The definition of defined states having a definite outline or specification precisely marked or stated. It has to do with our character and our makeup and who we are. Jesus has set the example. He is that definition of faith and it is He that we should be following. And as we run this race, it is He that we're looking to. It is Him that we should put our eyes on. The Christian life of faith is defined as beginning and ending in Jesus. The final and perfect sacrifice of Jesus renders the Old Testament system obsolete. As we read this morning, we mentioned the Old Testament giants. They looked forward to Jesus. And by faith, they lived their lives for something better. We now have that something better. God prepared it for us and for them, but He provided it to us. We are to run a defined race. 
and the and the finish line is Jesus. We are not perfected in a human sense. But as I said, all the Old Testament giants of faith were looking for what was and is completed in Jesus. Came across the story of a farmer who was teaching his son to plow with a mule and trying to teach him how to make straight furrows being pulled by a mule, pulling or the plow being pulled by a mule. And he said to to go straight, son, just pick a point out on horizon and lead that mule to that point. Fix your eyes on that point. The boy nodded in understanding, and the farmer left. When he returned sometime later to the field, he saw twisted and curved furrows. What happened, son? I thought I told you to keep your eye on the object beyond the field. I did, the boy replied, pointing to the standard he had chosen, a cow in the adjoining pasture. (laughs) And he followed that cow. That's a humorous story, but it holds a serious lesson for us. Whether we're plowing a field or running a race called the Christian life, it's critical that we keep our eyes on the right target. Despite the witness of the great men and women of faith in Hebrews 11, only Jesus Himself is worthy of our faith. Undivided loyalty and attention. If we're going to run and finish His race, it will be divined by faith that is perfected in Jesus. So we've seen that it's a defined race. It's a disciplined race. And number three, a determined race. Verse three says, Then you will not become weary and give up. Jesus has set the example for us. His willingness to be ostracized, mocked, and shamed by sinful people. The idea of determination and running a determined race portrays a picture of a steadily unflinching, bearing up under a heavy load, and also describes the quality of the character, which does not allow one to surrender to circumstances or succumb to trial. The picture is that of a steadfastness, a consistency, and endurance. Now I can sit up here and say that's how you do it. But how you live it, it's a, it's, it's a different matter. It really is. But if we think about it and we think about what God has done for us by surrounding us with himself, if we think about that Jesus is our, what we're aiming for, faith perfected in him, that is where we are heading. We're not looking for that cow that goes from there to there to there to there back and forth, jumping from one thing to follow to another thing to follow to another thing to follow. 
And once we've fixed our eyes on that, we need to go to that with determination. It's going to take some stick to A spiritual determination to complete this race. I don't know what's going on in your lives this morning. I know what's been going on in mine. Maybe you're wondering, or you ask the questions, is it really worth it? Is it really... I mean, this is hard. It's extremely hard, and it gets harder. It could be that your friends or your family... Maybe they haven't turned their back on you, but maybe they're not as close or as tight as they once were. And you feel a little bit of rejection, a little bit of wondering. I'd encourage you to read and meditate on these three verses of chapter 12 this morning. Keeping in mind these three thoughts. If you're going to run the race, this race, you need to be all in. It will take discipline. But you are surrounded by God's presence. Like that deep, dark fog that you can't see anywhere. It completely engulfs you. That's the Father. If you're going to run... And finish the race, it will be defined by a faith perfected in Jesus. Who has gone before us. Who has set the way. Who is seated at the right hand of the Father, cheering us on. Calling us to Himself. Bringing Him to Himself. If you're going to run and finish this race, you'll need... To be deter- you'll need the determination to complete the race. For life's difficulties serve as a discipline and to make us more like Jesus. And that's our goal. To become more and more conformed to His image. Some of you may not know, but I'm a, I'm a pilot. I fly airplanes, not your commercial airplanes. <laughs> but I fly airplanes. I, I, I enjoy airplanes. A few years ago, I was flying from Fort Collins to Garden City, Kansas. Should have been about a two and a half or three hour flight. Had a little bit of headwind. It was January. It was a little bit chilly, but once the plane warmed up and everything got warmed up, it was a comfortable ride. And I'm heading southeast. Is that south when we're in here? Okay. I'm heading southeast, and I'm flying at somewhere around 7,000 feet. So I'm flying in a Piper Super Cub. It's a tail dragger. You're familiar with them. Most of us have seen them probably as kids, made models of them and everything else. Yellow with a bear on the tail. But I'm flying this plane and 
everything seems to be going quite well. If you are familiar with the plane, there's really not much instrumentation on the panel. You have an altimeter. You have an airspeed indicator. If you're lucky, you have a glide slope. And then I also had a GPS uh, mounted in it so that I could uh, enter in my start and my ending and I could follow the GPS coordinates down to Garden City, to the airport in Garden City. So about two hours into this flight, it's taking a little longer, a little bit of headwind, I suddenly find myself in what I called a ground fog. Okay? Suddenly I'm totally covered in fog. I can't see the ground, which I couldn't see if I looked here. I had to look out here. But anyway, I couldn't see the ground. I couldn't see the sky. And for any of you who have flown or know much about flying, there's a thing called vertigo. If you don't know where you're at, you can't see the ground, you can't see the horizon, you can't see the top. It's easy for you to get turned over upside down. And at that point, you don't know you're upside down. When you're pulling back on to go up, you're pulling back, you're going down. So, anyway, I suddenly become very nervous. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? And believe me, I was praying. Okay, God, what do I do? I'm not really... I mean, we did a little bit of instrument training when we were... Uh, when I was doing my flights training. Um, but it wasn't really something where you could just fly through the clouds. So... All I could do was I could look at my altitude, my altimeter, which would give me the AGL or the above ground level. Okay? And then I would also have to look at my turn coordinator, and then I would watch my GPS. And all I could do was keep my eyes fixed here on the gauges or on the instruments. All I could think of was, man, there's like, there's like, um, towers out here. Um, there are windmills out here. There are lots of things out here. Once in a while, I'd creep up a little bit and I could catch a glimpse of some blue sky. Once in a while, I'd go a little bit low and I'd see a fence post. And then I'd come back up. But I had to do that for, it seemed like hours, but I think it was only like 30 minutes. But anyway, it was like, it seemed like for hours. But the only way that I could get through that and back into the clear sky and continue on was to watch my gauges, to keep my eyes focused on what I needed to keep them focused on to keep me going. It's the same way with this. Sometimes we find ourselves in a fog. We find ourselves surrounded by all of this stuff. And we're not sure where to go. We're not sure what to do. We're not sure, are we going to get out of this? Is this the end? Is the plane going down? Is what going to happen? But if we will keep our eyes focused on Jesus... If we will look to him as the author and perfecter, that's the only thing that's going to keep us from crashing 
when we're in the clouds. And we can't see the ground. And we can't see anything that's in front of us. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews in these three verses wants to tell us. You know what? Life is real. We can easily, as preachers, say, you know what, you should do this, and you should do this, and you should do that. And most of the time we should take our own advice. And I have. This passage has, has kind of opened up some things for me. And I'm not going to go into details, but in March, the Rock Church in Windsor closed. Folks had moved away, moved on, and it got to the point where we really couldn't and shouldn't afford to keep the doors open. So, for several months, I've been asking God, I've been in a cloud. I've been going, okay, God, what, what, what's, what's, what do we do? Where am I going? What's up? I don't have the answers yet. But I know that if I stay focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, he will bring me out of the cloud. If I keep my eyes on the instruments, I'll come out of the clouds. So my prayer for you this morning is that if you find yourself in a cloud or in a fog, if you find yourself in a position that's not very fun, look to Jesus. Sounds very simplistic. But it is. It is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, for the truth of your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for speaking to me this week and in these past weeks. I pray for each and every person that's here. And as I said earlier, I don't know their situation specifically, but you do. And I pray this morning, Father, that these words would be words of encouragement, that they're your words, not mine. They come from your word. And I pray that each and every one of us will take time to think about them, that we will take time to meditate on them, that we will take time to pray about them. I pray for each person's safety as they leave here today. I pray that you'll be with them as they go to their homes and as they go to their work this week, as they face whatever it is they'll face. I ask that you will surround them with that fog, with that cloud of your presence. And in the midst of that, they will focus on you. And now, all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.
All right. Well, unless there's a song or something that's going to happen, we're done. You're dismissed. I just didn't want to cut anybody off. Thank you.